Time now for Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester, America's premier automotive news and information talk show. Now, here he is, that automotive journalist with the photographic memory, Ken Chester. Welcome to America's premier automotive news and information talk show. That's right. You're tuned to Roadworthy Drive with me, your host, Ken Chester. Thanks for dropping by. As always, there's plenty to talk about that you need to know for the week ahead. I got you covered, and we'll get to that in a moment. Now, Uber goes autonomous with Volvo and Mahindra. You probably haven't heard of them before, but <laughs> no worries. I'll explain in a few minutes. Is expanding their American footprint in a surprising place. And both those topics are breaking news for this hour. We'll also be talking about SEMA's venture into China. That's great for American business. How parking in the near future is changing. And for the last segment... How battery storage is the next it thing in the power industry. To add your voice to the conversation, call or text me at the Roadworthy Driveline. That number, 872-222-9793, or email me, ken at roadworthydrive.com. Either way, you will get through, and I'm looking forward to hearing from you. And here at Roadworthy Drive, we practice safe driving during the hour when the show is underway, and I hope you do too. We're required to have an adult at the controls during this time. The man with the steady hands and ready comments is my good friend and Roadworthy Drive executive producer, Jack DeLeon. Hey, Jack. Hi, Ken. And you know what? I'm tired of being the adult. Well, you know what? Too bad. According to the suits, you are the designated adult. I could be the adult. Let uh, me be no. the adult. Exactly. The suit no. specifically said, no, not Sasha. Not, not, exactly. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. Okay, Ken. So now I got a question for you. Yes, sir. As we get into this week's topic. Yes, sir. Uber goes autonomous with Volvo. Yeah, but before we do that. All right. Uh, somebody mentioned something about a moose. Yes. Tell me about it. Um, I happened to be sitting in a restaurant okay. this past weekend, mm -hmm. and I kid you not, mm -hmm. the clip you keep playing about moosin, <laughs> no, quoted it verbatim. <laughs> oh my gosh! Now, guys, for those of you watching and those of you listening. Unfortunately, this is an inside joke that we do not have time to go into. Oh, oh I will God. share it on our Facebook. <laughs> yes, yes. I would of course, you will, Sasha. I would tell you to share it on the Facebook. But I'm sitting there, and I'm laughing uncontrollably, and my wife is looking at me like I've lost my mind. Well, that's beside the point. And, and, and I think the suits want to talk to you about that. Uh, oh, you, but, you, you know the suits would have thought to me. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, Ken, what, what is Uber and Volvo getting into here? Well, folks, we've been talking for years now that this thing was going to get real. And it just did. Okay. Uber placed an order with Volvo for 24,000 vehicles with the technology to be autonomous. It is the first major solid order. They will start delivering them in 2019. Okay. With or without steering wheel, brake pedal, and gas pedal? You will have that stuff for now. Okay. But for the most part, um, this is the first real deal. They're estimating that, one, that's 4.5% of Volvo's total output. Two, it's worth about $1.4 billion. And three, 
it is, like I said, it's less than two years away now. And they will start delivering them, not all at once. It will be a ramp up. And didn't you? Didn't we talk about at some point here in the recent weeks that this kind of thing was going to start happening? Mm-hmm. And we kind of thought it was going to be right around 2019, 2020? Well, remember, GM's plant that builds the Chevy Bolt, that's Bolt with a B, mm-hmm. already has the capability to build fully autonomous vehicles on their assembly line. That's true. Uh, Volvo joins this crowd, but here's an interesting twist. The vehicle they're going to use is the XC90, which, if people have been paying attention... It's a high-expensive vehicle. No. If people have been paying attention, it's the vehicle that uh, Waymo uses, that Uber used, in doing their testing. Okay. So they have some history with it. Here's the curveball. We've been talking about Volvo's new plant in America on and off on this program for a while. Right. Well, in 2021, when they the second product they're adding is the XC90. XC90, yeah. Which means, quite possibly, those XC90s will be part of the batch that gets delivered from Uber to Uber, built in the good old U.S. of A., just like the Chevy Bolt. Okay, but the first ones that they're going to get will be built in Sweden. Okay. Uh, but that's coming once the plant's online. Correct. Remember, the Volvo plant in uh, South Carolina is originally going to build the S60 sedan. Right. They're going to add the XC90 in 2021. Okay. So a few – so, you know, but here's the thing. You know, we talk about – and I've talked a lot about uh, different things that come together in weird ways. Yep. Uh, Volvo just bought – Volvo's parent just bought a flying car company. Uber has Uber Elevate. They did a white paper last year on virtual takeoff and landing vehicles that they're going to launch in L.A., Dallas, and Dubai. Okay, would you please explain to me what a white paper is? A white paper is a position paper that a company or a government or somebody will write uh, on a topic. Okay. Their, uh, their research on a given topic. They've researched it. This is where we're at. This is what we're going to apply to it. And, you know, think tanks do it. Uh, governments do it. Nonprofits do it. Um, in this case, Uber Elevate, which is their, uh, for lack of a better word, flying car subsidiary, um, wrote a white paper on the whole thing of a virtual takeoff and landing vehicle, how they plan to implement it, what the resources are, what the challenges are, what the regulatory challenges are, the things they're working out with NASA. And we reported on that just a few weeks ago. Correct. So can you imagine? Let's see. I, I think this is the start of a major co- collaboration that's not just going to end with the, the XC90. So, and, and, wh- and why would they go with somebody like Volvo instead of Ford or GM? Oh, I'm glad you said that because Volvo's position in safety was probably a factor. Speed was another factor, meaning how fast Volvo could develop this into a commercial product that they could ship. Okay. Okay, plus... Uh, the XC90, when they started talking about this a few years ago, was co-developed with Uber to develop the necessary redundancies in the car. Uh, Uber helped divide the cost of Volvo's development. So it became, you know, they got closer and closer, and it became a no-lose proposition for both of them. Okay. Plus, number one, and some, some reasons to make the deal. Number one. The chance to sell 20,000-plus cars don't happen too often. Two, they're calling this a robo-taxi. 
it's a new market, and they wanted to be the first one with a commercial product in the segment. And three, because they were first and they got it worked out, they're open to they're open to supplying this type of car to other ride hailing companies. Okay, now your other topic. I have another topic. You oh yes, no- I do. Yes, you do. Hang on. Uh huh. I'm trying to figure this one out because you have perplexed me. Uh-huh. Come on with it. Mahindra comes to Metro Detroit. Now, for those of you that don't know, Mahindra makes tractors. Yes, they do. In the United States. In the United States. And, but, and there's some very nice-looking tractors. By but, let yes, me, they let, are. but let me help you. All right. Go Mahindra ahead. is actually part of a larger group that employs over 200,000 people in a variety of countries. They build cars in other countries. They really? sell cars in other countries, including South Korea. Do they do it under the Mahindra name? Um, some of them. And okay. some of them are under... Uh, I believe it's pronounced Sasong Motors, which was one of the early second-tier fallouts. Sasong was going to come to the United States. Okay. They never quite made it about 15 years ago. It right. fell on hard times, and I didn't realize that Mahindra had bought them. Oh, okay. But they had. But here's the part that baffles me. Mahindra is building a small plant in Detroit, D- north of Detroit. Did someone say Union? Somebody yeah. might have said Union. Yeah, okay. Detroit, though, mm-hmm. uh, but it's not an it's not a on road vehicle. It's an off road vehicle okay. uh, that oh. has this top limit of forty five miles an hour. Oh. They're only going to build a few hundred of them a year, but it's a start. And Mahindra, which is an Indian company that makes tractors and all this other stuff, part of the Mahindra Group, uh, wants to sell cars. Uh, wants to sell autonomous cars in the United States. Really? Okay. Is the Detroit plant? Building this vehicle that they're going to build immediately. Uh, Is that going to convert over to building autonomous cars? I doubt it. It's too small. Okay. Then at what point or where does Mahindra go to get a plant to build the cars? Ooh, I know this answer. Good. Uh, There's a plant for sale in Bloomington, Normal, Illinois, that's been vacant for five years. The old Chrysler plant. Well, Diamond Star Motors, which is Mitsubishi plant. Oh. Oh. Uh, And, you know... Uh, Sasha's friend Sergio has been trying to sell Stop. Fiat Chrysler for some time. But he's not my friend, though. Imagine if Mahindra picked up Jeep, picked up Ram, oh. had the plants, right. and could launch from there. They could. Yeah. And that would actually be that would actually make sense on so many levels. Could. Next up, SEMA seeks new business in China, and after that, parking in the future will change. This is Roadworthy Drive. Roadworthy Drive is a cornerstone of the Roadworthy Drive radio network. Announcing your next car, the great new Chrysler. It can have a curved cockpit of glass and steel. Your next car can give you sweeping visibility, more comfort, complete performance, and a joyous heart. Chrysler, your 
Your next car is here, the great new Chrysler for 1969. Welcome to segment two of Roadworthy Drive. I'm Ken Chester. The Specialty Equipment Manufacturers Association, known to many by its initials as SEMA, is much, much more than its amazing annual trade show that they have each year in Las Vegas. And I can attest to that it, your imagination will be blown. Three million square feet of exhibits. Um, it fills the Las, Ange- the Las Vegas uh, Convention Center inside and out. Probably one of the largest trade shows not open to the public. But by the amount of crowd, you'd never guess that. It's, it's phenomenal. I, I was a guest uh, last year, uh, was addicted to life, want to get back, was not able to go this year. It just recently ended here uh, the beginning of this month. Um, but if all goes well, I'll be there in 2018. Just imagine. Uh, amazing. It, it is actually SEMA, the organization, is actually an international organization of American manufacturers of all sizes. From the mom-and-pop operations uh, on up that do an incredible job of representing those businesses around the world and giving them an opportunity to do business in what SEMA will tell you, the 95% of the world that is outside the United States. Now, honestly, I can't do justice for this organization during a time together because of their depth and their reach and all the major ways they support their manufacturers, which is phenomenal. But I can share one feature from their December 2017 issue of uh, their monthly magazine called the SEMA News that talks about their recent efforts in China. Now, I want to be clear. If, you t- if you're not familiar with my stand, so let, let me take a minute. I'm all about made in America because, honestly, if we don't make it here, the money doesn't get spent here. And a lot of companies do make things in America. But I want to counter with, you know, the fact that everybody thinks everything is made in China. It's not. And this is a case. Now, the gal who wrote this piece, uh, Linda Spencer, she is in their governmental and uh, international affairs, an amazing woman. She's been with SEMA, oh, about 24 years or so. Uh, Very, very outgoing and vivacious and very active she talked about the mileage she puts on outside the country every year, just going to SEMA events and, and helping SEMA uh, members and manufacturers and, and, and basically introducing the world to the wares of the United States made by these people, made by each American manufacturer. And did I mention American manufacturing? And we can talk about one in particular. Absolutely. You know, who is who now is, having a boom over in China, if I remember correctly. Actually, One of the 15 companies that went over there, and this is a disclaimer, uh, we're talking about DZ Manufacturing. DZ Manufacturing kind of helped launch uh, Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester, so we'll always have a warm spot in our heart for them. Yes, we will. It seems that our very own Jason Machina was over there, and he does travel a lot. But let me back up a minute because I want to talk about some of the things you may not know, listener, about uh, this whole thing. Now, they went over there. Customizing car culture is blossoming in China, and a group of SEMA companies flew out to Shanghai to check it out. Um, They visited specialty equipment shops, was briefed by the U.S. government officials in the region, as well as as local industry pioneers. But here's the thing. As a grassroots movement, and it's growing, 
Some of the things that amazed me about this article is they said that um, let's let me get it now. China's aftermarket industry is bigger than they expected. And one of the uh, people went over there said, and I quote, they want U.S. made name, name brands and are not hesitant to pay for them. They regard stuff made in America. Now, this is in China now. Stuff made in America for the car culture to be high quality and not afraid to pay for it. But don't you also think that with the ability now of more Chinese people being able to get a car, that they want to spend the money to get good quality aftermarket products? But here's the kicker. They're getting their aftermarket products for the American-made cars that they had imported over there. Oh, okay. Okay, that's the thing. Because what we're talking about is customization. Um, these folks have imported uh, from U.S.-branded trucks and Jeeps, sport compacts, and every aspect of the mark aftermarket is represented in China, and they're yearning for aftermarket support. And now these new trends... Let me let me back up again. I want to say this. Chinese consumers are enthusiastic about their booming car culture and are continuously looking towards the United States for new trends and products. Okay, quick question. Yes, sir. Are you telling me that some of the Chinese people are actually importing cars that were made in America over there? Yes, I absolutely am. And not only that, they want to customize them much the same way we do customization over here. All okay. kinds of ways. Personal customization, performance customization. That's what SEMA is all about. Uh, SEMA is, I believe, a little over 6,000 members, but everything from the mom and pop operation all the way up. In fact, DZ Manufacturing got solid as a manufacturer because of attending their first SEMA show back in 77. They brought back to the small company a million dollars worth of orders. And back in that day, it was huge. Brother, in this day, it's pretty good size, too. Well, exactly. Um, the desire for personalization and increasingly passionate enthusiasts in China market bodes well for U.S. companies. That's, what I, that's the point I want to make. But see, SEMA didn't just stop there. They've been in Russia doing the same thing, the Middle East, Australia, and other points. Point is that there is a very... Active, ongoing campaign to market American goods by American manufacturers, mom and pops, as well as the big ones overseas. As SEMA would like to tell you, they want to help you reach the 95% of the world that's not the United States. That 95% of their market opportunities is outside U.S. borders. And that's a very large number. Yes, sir, it is. And I just wanted my hats off to DZ. Uh, and I'm just... I just want to make the point. American manufacturing people is not dead. Don't believe that stuff they're telling you. It's happening. Uh, with the Mahindra story where companies are coming here and we're marketing their stuff made in the good old U.S. of A. And an interesting fun fact, all of DZ's factories are not only in the United States, but here in the very state we broadcast in the middle and the beautiful upper Midwest of America. So... So much for that. Coming up, parking in the future. Changes are coming. And for the last segment, battery storage is the new it thing for the power sector. The Roadworthy Drive program is a dynamic part of the Roadworthy Drive radio network.
want more than your share of the road? Be sure to check out Roadworthy Drive on Facebook. You got nothing, Sasha, really? What? Uh, never mind. This is no, the third segment. I had nothing. Oh, my goodness. This is the third segment of this hour of Roadworthy Drive. Thank you for listening. I'm Ken Chester. For those of you out there who want or need more than your fair share of the road, check out the show website. That's www.roadworthydrive.com. Find audio clips of prior shows, video clips of our weekly behind-the-scenes in-studio antics, and more. The website is a great place also to find out what we've been up to in the world of social media. From Facebook to Twitter, our social media diva stays busy between shows during the week to bring you facts, news, and information that's light, lively, interesting, and informative. See how Sasha keeps the social in our social media, even if she doesn't have anything from time to time. Now, what? Yeah, now, I know. What? I have a question. Yes, sir. Why would you use the term diva when we both know that's going to go to her head? Too late. I already got the tiara. Oh, never mind. Too late. I'm behind. <laughs> uh, be sure to like us on Facebook here. <laughs> okay. Um, have you ever heard of a company called Conduent? No. Chances are they're probably messing with your life right now. Okay, I'm going to let you explain this. Okay. Um, the company is bringing modern and updated parking solutions to cities across the United States in real time. And you guessed it, like everything else around you these days, things are changing. Let me talk about them a little bit. I stumbled across them, and in my travels, unfortunately, had to travel cross-country several times uh, this past couple of months on some family things that needed to be taken care of. And uh, I realized in looking at this piece that chances are I was interacting with a conduit system. Um, for example, um, the tolls where you've got like Easy Pass is what they right. call it up here. Sun Pass, right. they call it in Florida. Probably a conduit system. Really? Yeah. Oh, and in Massachusetts on the Mass Pike, yep. they've done away with toll gates completely. And unlike Illinois, we can still pay in coins. Not on the Massachusetts Turnpike. It's all electric. They'll bill you. And charge you a penalty as well. Absolutely. How about, now, that to me just makes absolutely no sense. I, no, no, no. no. I you, agree with that. Excuse me. Being from Massachusetts. We're you, sorry. Oh, wow. <laughs> hey, we were the only ones that didn't vote for Nixon in 72. Is that, wait, wait I was wait. way too young for that. So what, Right? You know. And I, I think wow. we're, we're in 2017, and, and you're bragging your about something that is your one accomplishment for the state hey, from 1972. Hey, really? Anyway. <laughs> anyway. No love in the studio, folks. I'm just telling you. Um, conduit provides a variety. Basically, and I'm thinking it may be a conduit system here in Des Moines. Okay. Um, I don't know if you ever parked downtown and, and used the meter that you can actually now use cards for. Yeah. Um, in the case of Santa Fe, New Mexico, which you're converting now, and Indianapolis that they did five years ago. Um, and it was common for a lot of cities. Cities had old meters, broken meters, haven't been able to raise prices in years. Um, was a problem because people wouldn't pay the meter. And then trying to do enforcement was a nightmare. In comes Conduit. 
Let me talk about Indianapolis for a minute. They had 3,600 parking spaces, low parking turnover, broken meters, and flat rates for 30 years. They needed new meters and next-generation technology to meet the needs and parking demands of the city. Conduent comes in with a private-public partnership. They put $20 million up front, replace all the meters. Then their subsidiary, Park Indy LLC, handles everything. The collection, the enforcement, everything, and splits the money with the city. That $20 million up front mm-hmm. is leveraged to $600 million in revenues. Split, really? split with the city of Indianapolis. And the best part, it's a 10-year agreement. If Indianapolis feels these folks ain't cutting it, they can kick them out. And then they're back to taking care of it. Yeah, with, or getting somebody else. Okay. Um, it's crazy because what they did, bringing in technology, you get an app. And they actually um, optimized parking availability by letting people know where the spots are. So which you knew that, be, which would be incredibly helpful. Yeah. So and it helped with the turnover. It helped with a lot of things. The best part, they streamlined. If you do get a ticket, you can pay for it online. You don't have to go downtown like you would have had to in the city situation. Mm-hmm. Basically, they developed a whole suite of technologies that I thought would just just blew me away. Uh, things like eTIMS, which is a fully integrated web-based violations processing system that supports all aspects of the par- parking ticket uh, lifecycle, from the management, database management, delinquent collections, legal notices, credit bureau reporting, and tax refund withholding. They are all the way deep. That is a fully automated system. City doesn't have to mess with it. Another system they call Merge, uh, a citywide smart parking solution that is working to change the amount of congestion caused by people who cruise around looking for parking spaces. They first uh, introduced this in L.A. Uh, in 2012. It is a smart grid for parking, enabling guided parking, predictive enforcement, meter and pay-by-sell management, and demand-based pricing. All layered with analytics to increase parking program efficiencies and reduce traffic congestion. They automated the process. Meaning chances go up, you're liable to find a parking space. And for the city, if you don't pay, they don't have to chase you. They got this handled, all integrated, mm-hmm. uh, which makes me think of other applications that are probably theirs. Uh, because, of course, like I said, in our town, you've got, you can actually pay by card. But imagine an app, uh, particularly if you're downtown a lot, that will let you know where the parking is. Then they got some cool stuff. Uh, that they developed for Los Angeles that I think they'll be rolling out across the country called GoLA, an intuitive mobile app that helps Los Angeles public transit users take advantage of multimodal transportation by comparing trips based on factors such as speed, cost, sustainability, or healthiest combination. Bus, car, heck, for all I know, bike. Mm-hmm. And then something called Multipark, a scalable parking system that provides polite, complete operational and management control of the car park equipment for the single or multiple sales. They've basically they're taking the back office of the whole parking experience and modernizing it so the consumer wins, the city wins, and everybody's better because there's less friction. Well, more and parking. It, and as you and I both know, cuz we've been down in our entertainment district how hard it is on a Friday or Saturday night to find a spot. And you're driving around until one opens. Mm-hmm. Usually I'm not in the entertainment district. Well, that's your problem. 
Ooh, ouch. Hater. Wow. Okay. <laughs> now they're getting ready to do the same thing to Santa Fe. Okay. Um, they're going to upgrade their former Mark parking management system, install city site on all handheld devices beginning next month. Phenomenal. Conduit is a leading provider of advanced parking management and other mobility solutions, including electric toll collection and transit and public transport and safety, which offers automatic analytics-based personalized services for government agencies, and they've been at it in 27 countries for more than 40 years. Are we going to get to the point where there's going to be an app on your phone where you can pay to get on the bus? I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't doubt that. Finally, when I return... Battery storage becomes the new it thing for the future of power storage and distribution, and your next car may play an important role. You're riding Shotgun with Ken Chester at Roadworthy Drive. Roadworthy Drive. Like us on Facebook. Are we in Hollywood? Um, you can't talk when I start the recording. You know uh, that all I want to do when he does that is make like a bunch of noise. I know. Oh, my goodness. Again, it, why I'm the adult in the room. But <laughs> on. Mm, if you're just tuning in, this is not a bunch of crazies. This is the last segment of Roadworthy Drive. Honest, I promise. Thank you for peeking in. I'm Ken Chester. Now, during this final segment of the hour, we're talking around battery storage. Hmm, I know. Sounds dull and boring, right? Thinking about you, Sasha. What? Yeah. Not so fast. Falling prices for battery storage, increasing range and duration of current battery tech in enormous factories like Elon Musk's Gigafactory in Nevada, along with plans for a similar one like it in Europe, are changing the power landscape in ways nobody could have predicted even five years ago. The way things are evolving, your next car may actually make you money by just being parked. Let's talk about this a little bit. Um, recent study by McKinney, McKinsey and Company, and I've got to apologize, and Sasha's going to get me for this, because it's June of this year. It's actually a few months old. Mm. I know, I know, but it's still, please, mm. you let it go. Let it go. Storage prices are dropping much faster than anyone expected, doing, due to the growing market for consumer electronics and the demand for electric vehicles. Major players in Asia, Europe, and the United States are all scaling up lithium-ion manufacturing to serve EVs and other power applications. Get this, though. No surprise, then. Battery pack costs are down to less than $230 per kilowatt hour last year compared to almost $1,000 back in 2010. So it has come down fairly quickly. Yeah. And continues to fall. Imagine this. Imagine a car that has batteries, lithium-ion batteries, that, when not in use, could actually feed the grid or power your house. Mm -hmm. Well, and I'm still trying to figure out how you're going to power the grid if you're sitting at work, for example. And It's an easy thing. Um, we talked about an algorithm that, they had that this university developed, now that I think about it, that figured out how to sell excess power to the grid and actually improve the ability of the battery to hold a greater charge. Yep. 
and they had it worked out. And I want to say, it, I forget the numbers, but basically it could do it. And the way that battery chemistry works in doing that and figuring out the algorithm, actually creating a draw on the battery, selling it into the grid, actually improves the life and the ability of the battery to hold a deeper charge for a longer period. Yeah. You see that now with, like, your laptops and everything else. they It works better if you have a constant stream of energy going through the battery as opposed to just pulling the battery and recharging the battery. Well, see, and I was always taught that, no, it's not what you do. Yeah, well, welcome to the brave new world. Okay. Um, McKinsey Research has found that storage is already economical for many commercial customers to reduce their peak consumption levels. Here's the challenge in this study. We've got a rising tide of, of uh, vehicles that need to be recharged. Yep. Doesn't take a lot of power. They really don't. Uh, to recharge, usually either at work or at home or a supercharger for your Tesla or somewhere. Mm-hmm. This is balanced with the ability that the falling cost of the batteries actually makes storage of power a reasonable Alternative, And aren't the batteries getting lighter? I don't know so much about lighter, but they're getting more dense and they're getting more effective. The thing that the big issue is called full grid defection. Um, I would think that uh, uh, preppers would call that Mm -hmm. being off the grid. Off the grid. Yep. And I'm going to say it looks like with the way things are going, it ain't just for preppers no more. No. Um, with this falling cost, um, batteries are being looked at in different ways. In fact, we did a piece, and Sasha did a piece, of batteries coming out of electric cars that can no longer hold that level of charge right. could be repurposed and stacked together as stationary uh, uh, power um, storage facilities still and repurposed. Yeah. Okay. So if you're thinking about this, um, then comes the problem for the electric utilities. Well, out here in the upper Midwest, our utility has put off building power plants for years because they've gone totally wind power. Mm-hmm. I just came back from a trip, as I mentioned, um, to Massachusetts where I saw solar farms. Yeah. And not one, several large solar farms. So with the falling prices of alternative energy... The grid now changes, and that presents a whole lot of issues because right now today you have a power plant. Right. And from the power plant you have high-tension wires going out around it, and you have substations to step it down, and it's delivered. Right. Imagine if you could distribute the power in such a way where it was extremely local for charge and draw. So we're talking about your car could power your house. Mm-hmm. Or a few cars could power your neighborhood. So, like, let's say you're a company, right? Mm-hmm. And you decide to allot, we'll just say 10, 10 car spaces. You use maybe a graphene-based paint that will help take the charge from the vehicle. The vehicle gains power solar or wirelessly, and the power can either go into the factory where you're pulling into work, and you get a subsidy from your job, depending on how much you're Vehicle subsidizes that building, or you can go directly to the grid. Mm -hmm. And we talked about a story in Europe where Nissan, I believe it was Denmark, was doing an experiment where their cars parked, their electric cars, 
was actually providing power back into the grid and paying their owners. Yep. Okay, but again, didn't you just mention something about the fact that there may be a hiccup in all this? There's always a hiccup as things develop. But again, we talk about swirling technologies, and this is one of those. Uh, we've got an increase in battery cars that, ha that need a charge. On the same token, we've got internal combustion engines. We've got natural gas power plants. We've got a need, and we've had this need, to update our long-distance, um, high-voltage power lines. Imagine if you needed fewer and maybe none at all. I could see that helping out quite a bit. But here's the problem. If you've got a number of people using battery storage as in place of power generation and only using the grid as backup yep. for reliability, you've got fewer people uh, in the system to pay for all that. And that, my friend, seems to be the biggest of the problems. But it's the new thing. Falling prices, it's going to change the way power is generated in things. Too much topic, <laughs> not enough time. Story of my life. In any case, be sure to tune in next time when we do it all again with the latest automotive info that you need to know. On behalf of the Roadworthy Drive team, thank you for tuning in. This has been Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester. Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester is a copyrighted presentation of the Roadworthy Drive Radio Network. Any rebroadcast, retransmission, or any other use is prohibited without the written consent of the Motor News Media Corporation.